0: Out. open your bibles we're going, to be, we're going to be way back in the book of numbers this morning chapter 11 when we want to have an idea of what is coming in the future there's really there's two things we can look to a few things we can look to when we want to see what is coming in the future. As believers, one of those is prophecy. One of the things that tells us what is coming is prophecy in the the writings and the teachings of the church. uh, We see all sorts of prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled. In the New Testament, there are also prophecies that speak about what will come, what will be ongoing, and things of that nature. Uh certainly as we you know as we read in Acts, as Peter gets up to preach, uh and he he quotes the prophet Joel, right? He talks about in the last days, God declares, I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh, etc., etc. Uh that's not our passage today, but that's an example of Peter saying we knew what was coming in the future because of the prophecy we were given. The one way is prophecy. Another way, which is what we're gonna look at today, is just in pattern, idea of patterns, right? And uh, some of you maybe have jobs that deal in pattern recognition, and the reality is all of us, in all things, uh, part of being a human, being an adult, is learning to recognize patterns, right? Uh, if, If someone goes into meteorology, right, it is, A huge part of that is the recognition of patterns, and when we have uh, this sort of a summer, at least this sort of a fall, we learn about patterns in our relationships, that when someone does this, they usually do this afterwards. And one of the skills that we develop in our children at a young age is the recognition of patterns. Among our children, Brooklyn is the one who loves patterns, and if she sees a pattern, Begin to form, she will not leave the room or do anything else until she has rearranged everything to make sure the pattern stays in place. And so, patterns are another way that we can have an idea of what is coming in the future. So, what we're going to look at today is a pattern that appears as we read through the scriptures regarding the way that God works midst of his people. So in Numbers chapter 11, we have this passage that's titled, Elders Appointed to Aid Moses. Uh, Let me begin reading for us, and we'll we'll skip a little bit as we go. Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. And then he goes into this bit about this other story that's happening. We're going to skip that for right now. Skip down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Midad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them and Moses and the elders of Israel return to the camp. Now this is not a passage that is never used to talk about Pentecost. It's in fact, one of the uh, lectionary readings for Pentecost Sunday. This is the selected Old Testament reading. So it's no secret that this passage is connected with the event of Pentecost. However, um, it's also important to understand why? And in order to do that, let's first dig into the passage a little bit. So what's happening in, in this passage? Now, if you go back into the, the preceding chapters, Moses, as he often often was, was beginning to be overwhelmed. Things were difficult. And he goes to God and asks him for assistance. He, he goes to God and says, basically, I need help. I cannot keep doing this. I can't keep leading these people. He says in verse 14 of chapter 11, I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And then he goes on and says, If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Now God graciously chooses not to honor that last request. He keeps Moses alive, but he gives him assistance. That is what is happening. This is God restructuring the leadership, the burden of of looking out for the people of Israel and spreads it from Moses to a larger group of people. So God says to Moses, gather 70 men of Israel. So Moses gets all of these men and they go to the tent of meeting, which is the place where God would speak to Moses. And then God takes some of his spirit and places couple of details that are important to note. First of all, there's no indication that God removed any of the spirit from Moses. Uh, he didn't take anything away from Moses, but what he is saying is the same spirit I put on you, I will put that spirit on them as well. There was no shortage of the spirit. It was not a finite resource. If you think of it as um, when we, uh, when we make the drive down here, we pass more reservoir. Anybody, anybody drives, or some of you drove by that yesterday. More reservoir you drive down, it's on both sides. When we used to drive down here for quiz meets, uh, we would always make this joke every single time. And whoever saw it first would pipe up and say, hey guys, how did you notice know that that side was there first? And then the answer was, "Cause that's more the sign is on the one. Anyway, so we we by here. It was really funny at the time when we were fourteen. It's it's a boring yeah, yeah. When, when we got down down to this area we would pass Ray the Mover and we would chant Ray, Ray, Ray over and over. It was a very boring trip. So on the way down, I digress. We passed more reservoirs, this huge, huge, enormous my voice is probably gonna glare at me because she grew up in the Midwest and the Great Lakes. But it's a large body of water. That's a lot of, and I, if I was to take water out of it to drink or to uh, to to wash my car or do water my lawn, do anything, you have this uh, this sense, this idea that that there is really nothing I could do that would use enough water to deplete that. It's not a finite resource. It's not like when you are in the shower and someone flushes the toilet, the water pressure, it's not that sort of an idea. It's an infinite resource. And so Moses wasn't any less endowed with the spirit, but what God was saying is not that I'm gonna take from what i have given you, but of the same source, they will be given. That's the first thing that we need to understand just so we have the right idea. So the Spirit of God comes and it rests on these 70 men, and they begin to prophesy. However, it's not exactly in the same way that we talked about prophecy at the beginning of this message. There's no record of anything that they said. There's no telling of the future. There's not even any sort of a... um, Analysis. Sometimes prophetic words are come in, in a bit of an analysis of the situation. Uh, there's none of that. Even if we look, look into extra-biblical Jewish texts and teachings and traditions, there's no record of anything that these men say. And so what most scholars agree on is that the prophecy, what it looked like was it looked like the tongues, looked like some sort of an ecstatic, different, outward, very likely unintelligible speech. So most scholars agree on that. It was just this something that came out of it. Now here's what's important for us as we look at what the Spirit of God does in our lives, because ultimately there's only one thing about these prophecies that's important It obviously isn't what the words were or what they told, because if that was the case, we would have those prophecies. It wasn't the information. What is important about these prophecies is that there was no question in the minds of anyone there what was happening. There was no question in the minds of the observers that what was happening was in response to the spirit. And we know that especially because not only in the men gathered around the tent, but these two other gentlemen that were still in the camp began to speak, and what they spoke was immediately recognized as the work of the Spirit. Now it would make sense if Moses said, Bring me seventy elders, bring the seventy elders here that I have selected, God is going to impart his spirit on them. If those gentlemen stood up and began to preach. Or began to sing or began to do anything the observers would be reasonable to assume that what was happening was the work of the spirit because they were primed for that they were expecting that they were perhaps ready for that but the two that were behind in the camp there was no reason for anyone to expect them to receive the spirit and in fact the opposite is true the men who were gathered to moses were expected perhaps, to receive the Spirit, but these, if anyone was not going to receive it, it would be these two, and yet, something happens, they begin to speak, and it is immediately identified as the work of the Spirit. Now, what's important about that for us is this. Aside from, practically, what the work of the Spirit does in our lives. Aside, practically, from what it changes in us or what it enables us to do, what's most important is that the Spirit of God enables us to do things that were previously impossible. And that can change person to person. Because things that are impossible for you might not be impossible for me. And and vice versa, things that are impossible for me may become impossible. I'll give you an example of this. One of the things that we are called to as believers is is self-control and discipline and the ability to not be controlled by our bodies and our fleshly desires, but to overcome control over those. Now, there are people that are not Christians that have excellent control over their bodies. There are people who meditate, who exercise, who have an unfathomable, for some of us, ability to tell their body no, to say, I know that you want to rest, but we're going to keep running, to say, I know that you want to eat, but we are going to to eat, we're, we're going to put away the Doritos and get out the celery, right? There are people that are very disciplined in their body that are not believers. And so for those people, if they become believers, evidencing that same kind of self-control is not much of a sign. However, for someone that has, in whatever way, whether it's, whether it's any of those things mentioned, whether it's substance abuse, whatever, for someone who has struggled with that their entire lives, has struggled with self-discipline and regulating their body and things like that, for them to become a believer and for that to change, is an indication of the work of the Spirit. So the first work of the Spirit in your life is that before it does anything from a list that we can come up with, the Spirit of God will empower you to do things that you could not do before. It will empower you to be a person that you were not able to be before. And that is the greatest, the greatest witness you have as the Witness we have as believers. It is taking us from what we weren't making it what we are. So, so we can discuss, if, if you want to, you can discuss at another time, like, well, maybe, well, what exactly did it look like? What were they doing? What were they saying? But ultimately, the only thing that matters is they did something that could only have come from the spirit of God. It wasn't that... It wasn't that this guy, El Dad, was very vocal and was always telling people what to do and was always preaching at people and always giving speeches, and then he gave, got up and gave a speech. That it happened, right? They would have said he's just doing it again. Something happened in these guys. People so said, We've known them. We've known these guys their whole lives. We know exactly what to expect. We know exactly what the pattern is way we're going to end up talking about pattern, but we know what the pattern of their life is. We know what to expect from them, and this is different. Radically, radically different. Somebody go tell Moses that it's spilled, Right? Somebody tell Moses that it was supposed to be over there, and it's over here with the leak. Now, here's here's something that's interesting, and there's, if you, uh, if you look into it, a lot of discussion about this. God says to Moses, call 70 elders. The tec- text says that he gathered, verse 24, he gathered 70 men, the elders of the people, and placed them around the tent. So God said, There will be 70. God said, gather 70. He placed 70 around the tent but then two remained in the camp. So this is one of the discussions, is exactly how many men how many men receive the spirit. And ultimately you could say, well, it probably doesn't make that big a difference. But then again, it, it could have some significant implications. And so there's a couple theories. One is that um, there weren't really, there were 70 men chosen and only 68 went up. Perhaps the two felt unqualified or inadequate, and they were afraid to go. Um, somebody said, well, maybe maybe they pulled the seventy from this really, you know, this kind of old list. Uh, there was an old census or a military registry, and there were 72 names, and they used that as a starting point. They didn't invite these other two, but their names were on it. Historically, uh, there's documentation of ancient Jewish traditions have records of the ancient Jewish history and the tradition about this passage Uh, and it's not scripture but it is a historical document that says the Jewish tradition was this. Moses looked at the command and said okay I'm supposed to gather 70 people. Now in the nation of Israel there were 12 tribes and everything that they did brought representatives from those tribes. Right, and remember, the tribes came from siblings, and with siblings, everything needs to be fair. Right? Everyone ever have those fair kind of arguments with your siblings, or your kids have it. Right? With kids, everything. And what's funny about the people of Israel is they, as a nation, never grew out of that. There's this constant. So everything was. Equal representation Now, if you're a mathematician, you realize that if you've got 12 tribes that all want to be represented equally, and you've got to have 70 people, you've also got a problem. And Moses, at this point, right, he's already burnt out. He's already exhausted. He's already saying this is way too much trouble. And so the tradition is that Moses basically said, I don't want to have to deal with the two tribes that get five instead of six whining and complaining and giving me a hard time about it. And so the tradition says that he took 72 men, even six from every tribe, leaders, qualified, three elders, and he got them together, and he took an urn, and he put 72 bits of of parchment or whatever in it, and on 70 of them was written the word or symbol or something that said elder, and two of them were blank. So they all came in, they reached in, and they, it was basically like drawing straws. That's what Moses did. And so the two men that drew blank parchments, he said, God has not ordained and called you to be an elder, he washed his hands and said, hey, I didn't pick it, you pulled it out, it was God's providence, it was God's will, take it up with him. That's the tradition of what happened. So the tradition is that there were 70 selected and that went up. But there were also these two that Moses deemed qualified that if they had selected or been selected to go, that it wouldn't have caused any issues. They were able, they were they were capable of being among these leaders. That's the tradition of how this story played out. So that's either 70 or 72 total. But here's what it does, either way. First of all, first of all, it shows that if these two that are separate are doing the same thing as these 70, it's not something that was just made up. They weren't looking at the people next to them and figuring it out. It happened separately and at the same time. It also reminds the people that that the power did not come from Moses. That it wasn't the presence of Moses that affected the 70. That it wasn't necessary to be in the presence in sight and hearing of Moses to receive the spirit that God was at work. And it reminded the people of where the power was coming from and it took some of the emphasis on Moses as the only one who could lead the people off. So they all prophesy vocally for a period and then they stop, but they continue to be ordained to work and to lead and to assist Moses. And then there's this last little piece where the word comes that these other two are prophesying in Joshua. Moses' assistant says, My Lord, Moses, stop them. And Moses responds, Are you jealous for my sake? Mine says, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. The Lord would put his spirit on them. The Hebrews a bit ambiguous there. That's why there's a variety of translations, but it's this idea that Moses is just yearning, that his spirit would be given to all the people Now, if you're thinking and put yourself in Moses' shoes, if you think of the in his perspective, that begins to make a lot of sense because Moses has been operating in this paradigm where he speaks from God, he hears from God, and then has to convince everyone else to follow, to listen, and to obey. And What Moses is realizing is, man, if we just lived in such a way that everyone heard from the Father, that everyone received the Spirit of God and what that brought, we wouldn't have these same issues anymore. That we could all be directly obedient to god instead of being obedient to god through his intermediary and we would all have the empowerment to to be different and to do different things and he recognizes how much better that would be so this is the first in a pattern that we are going to look at and the last of which is of course the event of pentecost but there's another place this pattern shows up, and it's in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 10. As I was reading this week, and I actually didn't see this referenced um, in any of the commentaries that I read, but as I was reading this week, I thought to myself, man, that number sounds really familiar. And I was actually just driving with Rachel in the car at the time, and so I made her look it up on her phone and Google it to get the passage. And in Luke chapter 10, we have this passage. Uh, Jesus sends out, in my Bible it says Jesus sends out the 72. Let me just, I'll read and skim, summarize. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself would want to go say to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? He says, I'm sending out as lambs, carry no money bag. Uh, he talks about how to enter houses, etc., etc. And he goes down. He um, says, heal the sick in it. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, and it he goes, he goes on from there. So we have this passage where Jesus does the very same thing, and this pattern begins to emerge, and when Jesus is sending out from the disciples, but also from the not just the twelve, not just the twelve apostles, but more broadly from all of his followers, he does the same thing to reference and call us back to what happened in the Old Testament. That you have a strong leader, a leader of the covenant, you could say. And just as Moses brought the old covenant to the people, Jesus was bringing the new one. And then in the same way that with, with Moses, the spirit was given him to lead the people. In the same way the spirit was given Jesus to preach and to heal, that spirit was given and granted temporarily to these other 72. And they went out and began to preach and began to speak and to do Jesus' work. It's the second time this happens. Now, some of you, depending on your translation, it's interesting, different Bibles translate differently. The reason is, and they translate the number, some of your Bibles probably have, especially if you're King James, New King James, the 95 edition of the New American Standard Bible, but not 2006 version. Um, and then a series of other ones some translate it, Jesus sends out 70 some say 72 if you look into that it's because half of the New Testament manuscripts say 70 about half of them say 72 there's almost a perfectly even split among uh, among the documents from the early church which is really fascinating when you think about our discussion that we started with of whether 70 or 72 in the Old Testament To me, that looks a lot less like a discrepancy and more like a sure sign that this passage is meant to point us back to numbers. It's a sure sign that what what Luke is saying here is what is important here is not necessarily how many hands were at work, but the symbolism and the sign that this is a pattern that is occurring throughout history, and connecting Jesus' ministry to the ministry of Moses. Now here's what's really cool. If you flip back a page. Chapter 9, we have the Transfiguration. And just earlier in the chapter before, guess who Jesus was hanging out with on top of a mountain? Chapter 9 verse 30, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So Jesus goes up on the mountain he has this transfiguration experience, another sermon, but he hangs out with Moses, and then immediately after, goes out and sends the 72. And not that he needed ministry ideas, but I just picture Jesus up on the mountain saying, hey Moses, I've been getting real tired lately. Any advice on what to do when you're just getting a little overworked and worn out. Most of say, listen, I've got this great thing. We did it way back. It really worked for me. You should try it. Try getting 72 guys and have God put the Spirit on them as well, and they can really help you out with just to really credit I'm going to have to try that. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going down, and I'm finding 72 guys. Now I'm going to send them out probably didn't need the idea, but I enjoyed imagining it. So it's a pattern that God in the Old Testament took some of the Spirit and arrested it on top of it, 72. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus commissions 72. We know the Spirit was placed on them because they healed. They were driving out of demons, other the spirit was on them, they couldn't have done the things they were doing. He sends them ahead of him into cities, but not just as messengers, they weren't just there to to hang up flyers and spread the word, they were healing, which means they have the spirit. It's the same thing that's happening, and then, men begin to ask. Connection here is where Moses ends up. what we know about patterns is something happens and it happens again the more it happens the more it occurs the more we can be certain and assured that it's coming that when we see patterns it tells us what is most likely going to happen in the future not not because of any sort of mysticism or any even supernatural understanding, that's, again, prophecy, but using just our our logic, just our understanding, just our mental capacity, we know that we can look forward to it happening again. And this is why Pentecost is not just a celebration of what happened in the past. It's not just a remembrance of a circumstance of an event, that we don't want to forget about. It is a looking forward to the future as God will once again pour his spirit on people. That God will once again raise up people who previously were not able to do the work that needed to be done, but will empower them So when we are looking at what God is going to do in our midst as a church, as families, and as individuals today, this moment, it can be easy to look back at Pentecost and say, "Well, the people involved at Pentecost were the, you know, the the." apostles who had walked with Jesus for years, and they had heard him preach, and they had seen the amazing miracles day after day after day for so long, and, and, and there were all of these things, all of, all of the, the details of their circumstances are so different from our circumstance, and how could we possibly believe that that would happen again? That's something that powerful could happen in our lives, could happen in our time, that when we think about Pentecost as something that only happened once, it begins to be hard to believe that it could happen second time. It begins to feel out of reach. It begins to feel unattainable. But when we recognize that even Pentecost itself wasn't entirely That Pentecost itself wasn't God inventing new ways to work in history. It was actually God just going deeper because the time was right. God had poured out his spirit on large groups of unworthy people before. God had poured out his spirit in such a way that people said things they couldn't say before, whatever that looks like. There was already a time when the power of God falling on people was publicly demonstrated in its power and the authority that it brought. All of that had already happened at Pentecost. It happened to more of them, and it happened more deeply. It was not just an outward resting for a period and a purpose, it was an indwelling. In the same way that the spirit dwelt within Jesus, it was deeper, bigger, but ultimately, it wasn't an isolated event, and it wasn't and, and I don't know about you, but for me, that makes it a lot easier to look forward to what God wants to do in my life today not because I've never received the Spirit, but because the Spirit is still at work. And, and I can see this pattern that has happened throughout the history of God's work in the world that says this is what God does. He takes people who are imperfect, because again, right in, in, in Numbers, right before this happened, the whole... The whole of Israel is is up in arms about their food and they're rebelling and they're rejecting Moses and, and these 72 clearly weren't doing much to solve that problem they weren't doing much to stand up and defend Moses or tell the people to be content they, they weren't they weren't doing much to change Israel before and yet God's spirit was poured out even though they never heard Jesus' teaching, even though they never witnessed a miracle, all of those things that are common to us. And God poured out the spirit. One of the most dangerous things we can do in the church. It's really, really true of Christmas. That's a difference. We over-celebrate the uniqueness of these situations. We can over-celebrate the uniqueness of Pentecost. Out of a desire for good even, but what we do is we push it away. And our desire to talk about how great Pentecost was, we push it, we elevate it. It, be, it, it can become... Almost a form of idolatry of how great that event was. You want to celebrate it. you want to color little pictures about it in the front row. My kids are doing There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to teach children the story of Pentecost, but it's all it's all coloring things. because they weren't they weren't painting pictures of it on the day of Pentecost, right? they didn't have little workbooks for the kids they didn't have they didn't have t-shirts made it was just the experience of it and we can get so focused on the celebration of what was that we miss the experience of what god is doing today. we want to talk about how powerful it was but not so much that we count ourselves unworthy and unwilling to experience what God wants to do now, in this place, in our hearts, and in our lives. And we do, again, we do so much of that. the desire for good, out of a, a, a striving for humility. house that has a large room on the second floor, cram ourselves into it, try and make it look the same, make sure we invite a bunch of people from other countries and have them stand on the front lawn so we can go talk to them afterwards. We're not trying to recreate it. If there's anything we want to recreate about Pentecost, it's just the openness and the willingness of the believers for whatever God was going to do. And sometimes that's loud, like an Asbury revival kind of thing. And sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's three forty five in the afternoon. And you're taking a nap and you wake up and God speaks to you or changes or does it could be anything, it could be anywhere. But are we looking forward? Let's pray. Father, we uh Sometimes I feel, God, that every, every moment, every time I wake up, there's a new place to misstep. It's a new, different way for me to get off track. And even the things that I'm doing to try and honor you or to glorify you or to be humble in what I'm called to do and called to be, God, as soon as I begin to think I can do it, as I begin to think that I can be humble to plan it out figure out how to make it work so quickly go. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that we have and this wealth of information about the way you've worked in our midst in the past and the way you want to work in our midst today. And I pray, Lord, that Today, as we remember your power at work on that day of that on that particular day of Pentecost. That initial outpouring of your spirit, the opening of a faucet that was never closed. Just remember that it continues. And that holiday is over once every year, but we don't celebrate the holiday, we celebrate the change in reality. We celebrate the change, the way our, we understand our relationship with you. We celebrate the change fundamentally in our relationship with you. May we, your people, be open and willing to go wherever you would call us to go, to do whatever you would call us to do. Whatever the 2023 outpouring of your spirit looks like, and we respond, Lord, sign us up. Put us on the list. Wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, we want to be it. Not because we're qualified, not because we're good enough, but because our names are on the list. As you call each and every one of us to follow, to work in the serve regardless of qualifications, skill, or history. It would be your-